everyone, welcome to Real Talk Therapy, where two therapists chat about the world of mental health, the things we see, and what it's actually like to be on our side of the couch. I'm Kate. And I'm Nushin, and we are licensed therapists who specialize in eating disorders, but have opinions about so much more. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Talk Therapy. Nushin here, sans Kate. Kate is at home playing with her little bundle of joy. We're hoping to have her back on soon, um, sometime in December, January for some episodes. So you guys are stuck with me for a little bit. Although, as I've mentioned, I'm bringing on some really fun guests to talk about all the things that we enjoy to record, and we hope that you guys enjoy listening to. Um, So today, I have one of my dear friends and fellow therapists and fellow practice owners, um, Rachel Singer, here today with me. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. I've never recorded a podcast before. So this is a big deal. Well, and you and I have done Instagram lives together and with Kate too, I think last year probably was the last time we have done any of that. So like Rachel and I have like kind of been in this mode of conversing about topics that we're passionate about and that we hope that those of you that are listening um, are find helpful or find entertaining. And so this isn't the first time you and I have like done this like back and forth, but this time it's accessible to a lot of people whenever they want. <laughs> yeah, this is true. And I think what's really great is that we have different specialties in our practices, but what's really cool is that there's so much overlap. And I think it's neat when we can sort of come together and find ways to collaborate with the overlap that occurs, you know, and find sort of better ways to, you know, support our clients and, and also learn stuff. I, you know, I love, you know, getting to sort of chat with you about some of the things that you see, you know, again, sort of, and in those overlapping moments and, you know, figuring out things that I can sort of bring back to, to my folks. So, yeah. Yeah. Rachel um, is someone that I go to a lot for, you know, whether it's business related stuff, just to get an ear, but also like, She's an addiction specialist, and we'll be getting into that topic in just a second and and kind of picking her ear just like it's, she does for us when it comes to eating disorder work. Um, so, Rachel, can you share with us just a little bit more about you and the work that you do and anything else that you'd like to share? Sure. So I have been uh, the owner of The Mindful Heart, which is the name of my psychotherapy practice, we were founded in 2012. Um, so I started as sort of a one woman show and then um, we've sort of grown from there. And today we have, it's myself and 16 associates. Um, and what's pretty cool about us is that we specialize in a whole slew of different things. Um, you know, everything from trauma to addiction, family work, couples work, um, you know, working on things related to gender identity. Um, we see kids, we see adults, everything in between. Um, so it's really neat, you know, uh, when we get our whole team together, just in terms of case collaboration, because everyone sort of comes from a, a different school of thought. Um, so that's always really neat. And uh, we're located in Bethesda and Silver Spring in Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, and what else about me? Let's see. Um, I am a mom of three, three boys, three wild boys. I will say that as well. Um, <laughs> 
They are six and a half, four and a half, and 20. He is not two yet. He's 20 something months. I can tell you exactly what, uh, but he will be two in February. Um, and I am also, fun fact, I am married to a therapist and that is super fun too. So it's, it's a lot of mental health in our house all the time. Um, all good, but I don't know. My, my children will probably, you know, let me know how that felt, you know, as they, as they get older. Um, but for now we talk about a lot of feelings in the house. Um, but yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. And, um, I think just in terms of my own specialties, like Nushin said, um, addiction is one of the areas that I really love to do work on. Um, I see mainly adults at this point. Um, and I do a lot of trauma work that sort of intersects with the addiction work as well. Um, so that's kind of my bread and butter. Rachel, I don't know how you handle being a mom of three young boys and running a successful practice with that many associates. That's just so amazing. Like it's very, very impressive. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. It's, you know, it, it can be a little wild at times, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a wild ride. And I think, you know, you know, since the practice has been around, you know, a little, I think 11 years, 11 uh, 11, 12 years, you know, we have definitely sort of like learned a lot ways to become more effective ways to become more efficient, uh, and just sort of, you know, changing, um, how we do things. So I think just, you know, like whether it's updating our, um, electronic health record system in terms of, you know, making those kinds of things easier. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think it's nice just kind of having my hands in sort of a couple different, different areas. So yeah. Wearing lots of hats. Yeah. Um, so today we are going to be talking about something that Rachel and I have done Instagram lives on, and it is about substance use and eating disorders during the holiday season. And mainly, you know, what, you know, those individuals, um, what their experiences are like, and also how we support our clients, but also how you guys can support any loved ones or anyone that you know is going through the struggle. As we all know, the holiday season is can be amazing and lovely and all things wonderful, but it can also be really stressful for lots of different reasons. And if you guys haven't listened already to um, the episode we dropped Thanksgiving week, we talked a bit more about just general stressors over the holiday season. I think that was the last episode Kate and I recorded together um, before she had babies. So um there are going to be some similar themes, but, you know, definitely much different because we're really talking about when one is struggling with whether it's substance use or an eating disorder and and kind of the steps that we can do to support them. So, Rachel, I'm curious for you, why do you think this is something important that we should talk about? So, as you said, you know, the holiday season brings up a lot of different things for people. You know, it's stressful. I mean, it's stressful for people who are not in recovery with eating, you know, disorders or, uh, you know, addiction. It's stressful just because it brings up so many things, you know, right? Like for someone who's not struggling with those types of things, you know, sometimes family relationships are complicated, right? It's not all rainbows and sunshine. In fact, the majority of the time, it's not, right? Families are complicated. There are lots of, you know, moving parts and relationships always evolve. And so getting 
together with family, you know, that's a thing in itself in terms of what that brings up for people. Sometimes getting together with family can be bring a lot of joy. Sometimes getting together with, you know, family can bring up a lot of sadness, grief, other kinds of emotions. Um, you know, so it's understanding sort of what these holidays mean. Also, maybe if a, you don't celebrate the holidays, what does that feel like? What does that mean? What's it like to feel isolated in that way? You know, going along the lines of isolation also, you know, people where maybe they do not have people to get together with, whether it's because they've lost someone, whether it's because, again, there are complicated family dynamics where then this is a holiday and I'm now aware of these dynamics because I'm not with these people that maybe historically I have been with during, you know, these times. So again, lots of mixed emotions. You know, I sort of get on my soapbox a little bit uh, around the same sort of theme with like Father's Day, Mother's Day wanting to acknowledge that these are not happy, beautiful, loving holidays for everybody. Sometimes those are some of the hardest days of the year for individuals that, you know, for again, a multitude of reasons, because what that day means is something different to them. And that sort of gets, you know, just along the lines of what you're asking gets us into this theme of, you know, not everything is cookie cutter in terms of, you know, how holidays affect us. And I think that's the key thing here is really honoring that. Well, in addition to what you're saying too, it's not the approach to supporting someone isn't always going to be the same either. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, And Rachel, like as you were talking, I mean, ultimately, you know, what we have to keep in mind is that someone who struggles with an eating disorder or has a history of one um, or someone that struggles with substance abuse or has a history of one, um, we have to remember that these are coping mechanisms, right? So we have used these to cope with whether it's trauma, um, an inability to handle emotions um, or complicated relationships, which then bring up emotions, bring up grief, because maybe you're not, you don't have the relationship with these people that you really want to have. Um, And so that is something we have to remember is when we're then in the midst of kind of these emotions amplifying a bit more because maybe you're around these people or you're reminded of how you feel in certain situations that that's when possibly the urges feel more difficult. Um, I know in the eating disorder world, the, the week of Halloween is kind of when we start to hear that chatter a lot more, whether it's with our clients, whether it's in society in general. Um, We recently recorded an episode on Halloween and intuitive eating and just kind of some tips around that because, I mean, candy triggers everybody, right? So it's important for us to keep in mind that in what this is all about is the increase of stressors, increase of triggers, and how can we support those people, whether it's our clients or whether it's our loved ones. Rachel, how do you see whether it's the work you do or, you know, around you in your personal life, how do you see things shifting this time of year when it comes to substance use? I think that if I had to make an overall generalization of and sort of the trend I'd say increasing. This is a hard time for all the things that I had mentioned, you know, just a few moments ago. Um, it becomes, like you said, this is the coping mechanism. It could be drugs, drinking, it could be, you know, eating, um, eating disorder-related behaviors, it could be 
money spending, you know, everybody, you know, has a way that they cope with uncomfortable stuff. Now, whether it gets to a point where it becomes unmanageable, unhealthy, I think that's where we all differ. Because here's the thing, who hasn't, I don't know, had a not great day and decided to like, I'm going to go out and like, you know, buy myself some yummy lunch, or I'm going to go and uh, buy myself a brand new top because I don't know, like I need some retail therapy. There is a way in which these things can be done in a healthy way and we don't want to pathologize them, right? And then there is a way in which those things can be done and they do interrupt our functioning. They do affect you know, the way that we are, you know, living and, and, and how we're feeling. Um, and so I think, you know, just being aware of that and, and sort of being mindful of, um, for those of us who during this time of year, things are getting very stressful, you know, where are we on that spectrum? And it's important to, not be so quick to assume that you are sort of over on, you know, far right. And it is so disruptive, or maybe again, a lot of people downplay, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's not that big of a deal. So I think just really self-awareness and insight becomes really important this time of year. I like to do a lot of checking in. All right. So, you know, let's, let's check your mental space. How have you been feeling this past week? We're about, you know, two to three weeks, you know, pre-Thanksgiving or, you know, Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever holiday, uh, you know, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Um, I think those sorts of check-ins can help with knowing where are these behaviors at? Are they at a manageable place where we don't need to pathologize or are they getting to a place where we need to be careful and mindful? And striking that balance can be challenging. And I'm sure you probably see that sort of in the ED world as well. Yeah. And One thing I I wanted to ask you, and you kind of already touched on this was, and this could be a whole separate discussion is, you know, someone may not have like a diagnosed, you know, substance use disorder, but, you know, when they're around family or when they're going to a holiday party and they have social anxiety, right? Like they may turn more to substance as you were talking about like, oh, someone might go buy a new top or get a yummy lunch. It's like, or you might just pour yourself a glass of wine when you get home because it's a stressful day. Does that mean you have a diagnosable disorder? No, it depends on what happens with that. How often is it happening? Is it keeping you from being responsible of your day-to-day and functioning as an adult? Um, are you able to stop doing it whenever you need to? Like, can you go to you know dinner and not have a glass of wine if everyone else is having a glass of wine, right? If you're just choosing not to drink that, you know, for that week. Um, there's like all these trends of like no drink November or whatever. I feel like there's always something going on, which, you know, hey, if that's what people want to do, but like it doesn't, I, I don't know. I think like those things kind of like sit weird with me for some reason. Cause it's like, just like, if you don't want to drink, just don't drink. It doesn't have to be like this. I'm not going to drink for a whole month kind of thing. Um, but as we're talking about eating disorders too, Thanksgiving is 
probably the most stressful holiday when it comes to eating disorders. When I worked at the treatment center in my earlier years of my career, we were actually open the day after Thanksgiving, where most places are not. I mean, in general, like a lot of places are closed on that Friday. But we were open because we knew that Thursday is hard. And for someone to go four days without having that opportunity to talk through what was going on, any urges they had, et cetera, that was, you know, really important for us to be able to provide. And so this time of year too, being like outpatient therapists working with this population, like the hope is that Thanksgiving, yeah, it can be triggering, but people are able to get through it. Um, but for some people it can be, again, like you said, a reminder of maybe like dad who passed away a few years ago and isn't there. And so not only is, is this grief and this, you know, obvious emptiness at the table, there's then like, oh, and I feel really guilty eating mashed potatoes and stuffing and turkey, and I'm not going to have breakfast today, or I have to make sure I work out today because I'm having this large meal later. And one of the things we always tell people, no matter no matter what the day is, no matter what the holiday is, no matter whether you're having this large meal or not, treat it like any other day. You still have breakfast, you still have lunch, and you still have dinner. Um, you have to pay attention to those cues and continue to try to tap into what you've learned around intuitive eating or your meal plan if you're still in some sort of recovery, because that's when you're able to be mindful during these meals and decide what I really want to eat as opposed to, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry because I didn't eat breakfast. I can't wait to get to this meal. And then before you know it, you're full within five minutes because you weren't didn't even give yourself an opportunity to enjoy the smoothness of the mashed potatoes or the richness of the, you know, apple pie, et cetera. So it's, it's really, it's just so interesting when you think about the similarities between and differences between substance use and eating disorders, because food is something that is necessary. It's necessary to live. And so we're always around it where People that live a sober lifestyle tend to hopefully surround themselves with more sober people. And so that isn't in their face. Like they might be going to a sober dinner and they know that they don't have to worry about that being there, but someone could also be sober and have an eating disorder. So then it's like, but the food's there, right? And it's like, how can I manage that healthy part? And I'm wondering, I'm assuming you see a lot of that crossover. I know we do too. And for us in particular, if the substance use is more primary, we obviously refer over to someone like you to work on that piece, uh, where I'm guessing for you, if the eating disorder is more primary, you're sending them over to someone like us. And I agree with you. When we sort of see them co-occurring, it can be really difficult because a lot of times there may be multiple behaviors that people use to manage and mask cope with those uncomfortable, you know, emotions that come up. I will say one of the similarities I see though, when we think about treating and when we think about ways to go into these big family meals and, and support our clients, I would give the same advice to someone struggling with an eating disorder that I would with someone um, struggling with addiction. It, going back to this idea of checking your mental space. And I say that a lot to my clients outside of big holiday season. Hey, you're having a rough week. You're really stressed. Oh, and you had this work dinner coming up where there was going to be alcohol. 
this might not be maybe a good time to like it again. I know some things are mandatory, but when something is actually in your control, not putting yourself in situations when you're more vulnerable. And because you may not be able to sort of act access those coping strategy, strategies that have allowed you to be sober or be in recovery, maintain your recovery. And so I do subscribe to that for the holidays too, you know? And so that's why a lot of times I encourage people take breaks, you know, like if also, if you know that, and I'd, I'd love to hear your input on this, Dushan. You know, if you know that, okay, there's going to be a lot of these like big, scary foods at Thanksgiving and and they're not safe foods for me, you know, what would it be like to, to make sure that you're being nourished, have a lot of safe foods because you know that you might be more vulnerable at the table. You know that you might be vulnerable on that day. And so to assure that you're going to get nourishment, but maybe do it with safer foods than what is being presented so that you're still eating, that there's no, like, you know, no type of restriction, you know, what would that be like if you know that someone is going to be a bit more vulnerable, you know, is that a recommendation that you would make for one of your clients to assure that they are nourished, to assure that there is, you know, no feeling, maybe no provocative feelings of like being hungry or anything like that. Cause I think sort of on the substance use side, you know, again, it's, all right, I know you're going to go into this table and this is a vulnerable situation for you. So I would encourage people again, take as many breaks as you need. You need to sort of check out, do things that you need to do to take care of yourself. Because if your vulnerability is higher, it's going to be harder to exercise those really healthy coping skills. I think your, your question is a really interesting one to think about. Um, you know, if, if someone has, um, you know, is struggling with an eating disorder in recovery, et cetera, you know, do we encourage having safer foods as opposed to maybe giving into behaviors? And that could mean restricting or binging, right. Um, or eating mindlessly. Um, and I think that I would rather my client have nourishment than use behaviors. And one other thing that I was thinking about as you were sharing that or talking about that was it's hard for someone to be sitting at a table or, you know, you're you're going through the buffet and then you're all sitting down in a room together or whatever it is. Um, and there might be people that know about the eating disorder. There might be people that think they might have an eating disorder, like this loved one has one. So my only fear was someone having the safe foods is what people might say or think, right? And that, I mean, it's just so complicated. It really, really is. And in the end, my hope is that if you have an unhealthy relationship food, if you're struggling with an eating disorder and these meals are something that are still really difficult for you, that there is at least one person that you know you can go to, that you can sit next to, or that you can kind of share the space that you're in. Because as long as you know you have one, someone there like as a partner and that sees you, maybe it doesn't feel as bad. And again, making sure you are nourishing yourself throughout the day in general, because if you're restricting and you're already nervous about the meal, like you, it will be difficult a hundred percent. And my hope is that anyone that's listening right now that can really relate to this discussion and has an unhealthy relationship with food that 
you at least have a therapist and or a dietitian that you're working with too around this because that's when the you can get some really specific feedback around okay what are your safe foods okay so your safe foods are vegetables and turkey why don't we at least try a little bit of something that doesn't feel safe with that right so it doesn't have to be all or nothing could it be you know you feel your maybe you feel three quarters of your plate with the things that you feel okay with having, and maybe a quarter of it was something that you really enjoy or you used to enjoy, or you really want to try, but your eating disorder is like, no bitch, can't do that. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to put a spoonful of mashed potatoes, or I'm going to get that roll and I'm going to try and see how I feel. Um, Again, with the hopes that you have someone that can support you throughout that as well. And if you don't, that's okay. And I hope that you can try to find people maybe that even aren't at that meal with you that you can text on the side or you can call in the bathroom or in the backyard like while you're taking those breaks for yourself because knowing that you have a connection with someone no matter where they are can be really, really helpful to get through times like this as well. I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, again, support a, your support network is is going to be huge and is going to be really important in these moments. I also want to recognize two things. One, you know, small wins. It doesn't need to be something so large and big, like I ate all the things and I had the big piece of pie and, you know, whatever, whatever. Work with your provider, if you have one, on what's a win for you. What's a win? You know, a win for Nushin might be different than a win for Rachel, right? Like, understanding for, you know, and it might be based on that mental space. A win today might be different than maybe a win three weeks ago. Maybe I was in a better space three weeks ago. And this week, I'm just really not feeling it. You know, I feel a lot more vulnerable. So let's recognize what a small, tiny win might be at the table. Maybe it's the fact that I even showed up, right? You know, and even if I did eat all safe foods, while it would have been nice to be able to do the three-fourths and one-fourth thing, and that was the goal, maybe I'm not capable of that in this moment right now and three weeks where I know I could have, but also sort of that radical acceptance around this is where I am right now. It's not forever. And also, you know, reminding yourself that whatever modifications, changes, adjustments that are made for you that you make in this moment for this particular meal this year in 2023 is not forever and always. Let's focus in the here and now. We don't know where you'll be next year. We don't know where you'll be in five. I think I have a lot of clients who get very, that black and white thinking is very common. I have a lot of clients that get very fatalistic and it's like, well, this is how it's always going to be. Thanksgiving is never going to be enjoyable. And sometimes I think I like to really bring them back to the moment. Let's just allow ourselves to be where we are today and be where we are in 2023. And we'll see sort of where we go from here. You know, you're, you're talking about mindfulness. Like there, there's this idea of mindfulness in where we are in our recovery. And I also, it reminds me again of like that cookie cutter approach, right? Like not only is it different, like, is the approach going to be different for each individual, but also like that individual, like what they need is going to shift. And I think that's in general for anybody, right? What I need one day might be completely different than what I need in two weeks when I'm like completely stressed, right? The ability to tolerate, to be mindful and to make decisions on what you need is really fucking hard. And not only is it hard to do when one is assumed to be in a healthy place, and this is me talking, I'm assuming <laughs> I'm in a healthy place, right? To then also 
you know, for someone who's struggling with whether it's a substance use or an eating disorder, that ability to be mindful and to tolerate is even more difficult. And so it's having some grace for yourself and some compassion. And hopefully you're surrounding yourself, even if it's like one or two people, whether it's your treatment team or it's, you know, people in your life that support you a hundred percent, no matter what you need. Um, but I'm curious, Rachel, I have a question for you because I want to get to some questions that people have asked us about this pod is one, if let's say I'm hosting, okay, I'm hosting this big Thanksgiving meal, which thinking about that gives me anxiety because I can't imagine doing that. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that maybe I have one or two individuals coming that live a sober life. Um, And they live a sober life because they have a substance use disorder. Um, How can I support those people? Assumingly, and, and my hope is that a host is aware of that and is able to figure out ways of supporting them, right? So what do you think about that question? So I actually love this question because on social media, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I saw a post in a mom's group and somebody had posted anonymously and they were sort of looking for feedback around non-alcoholic beers and wines in the area. You know, where can I get them? They had put in the post, uh, I have some people in recovery who will be in attendance at my Thanksgiving feast. And I'm wondering, does anyone have any recommendations of places to get uh, beer and wine that is non-alcoholic? And it was can really- I, Can I just say that oh. is just like hearing that, it's just so nice that this person was like, I am aware of this and how can I support them? I mean, and, and I'm sure people, I'm assuming people had lots to say to that. Well, you know, it was interesting. And of course, us therapists are on the same page. I was kind of taken away, not in a good way, by how many people were so quick to sort of criticize, you know, this person necessarily harshly, but they were so quick to say, well, that might not be what they need. And that might, might not be what they want. And that's a lot of, that's a huge trigger for people in recovery and making these like a lot of general statements. And I sort of went down through the comments and I realized that nobody had given this poster, original poster, uh, credit, at, you know, just for even putting something like this out there because there is this attempt at, I know that these people who are going to be joining my home uh, have needs and I want to try to accommodate them. And sort of here's where my brain went that maybe I could. And while the feedback I think is somewhat accurate, you know, I ended up commenting and I was just saying, Hey, I really appreciate and think it's so lovely that you even decided to post this because that's so meaningful that you would be trying to accommodate their needs. And then my second part of it was, Hey, I also am in agreement with some of the recommendations here that sometimes the best course of action, and I didn't make a general statement, but I just said best course of action is ask those individuals what is going to make them feel most comfortable? Yes, it's correct based on what some of the other comments were that some folks are triggered by the you know non-alcoholic things. If somebody has a regular margarita and she's sitting next to you and you got your non-alcoholic margarita and even you know it's all nice and pretty with the little flowers, it's like, yeah, but no, I want that. I don't want this. So I think, being able to honor that that might not be the experience for everyone. And so just ask, don't make assumptions. And that's one of the biggest recommendations I have around 
how do you accommodate? How do you support these folks? Is just ask them. Don't have it be so taboo. I honestly think you make people feel worse when it becomes this like untouchable, like white elephant in the room. We're not going to talk about it, but it's a thing and everybody knows it's a thing. Just put it out there and say, hey, I know that, you know, you're going to be coming to, you know, Thanksgiving this year. Um, and I know that you've been working really hard on your recovery and I want to do anything I can to support it. Um, so please let me know if there is anything I can be doing, um, in our home in terms of having things available or not available that would be supportive to you. And you put it on them and just the mere eliciting of their opinion would be really supportive, you know, and, and that probably feels very validating. Wow. This person is thinking about my needs. I'm not such a weird person because I have these quote unquote issues. We all have issues, clearly. Well, and again, it's going back to, you know, what one person needs may be completely different than what another one does. And I think in general, the theme here is just asking, right? Like ask these people whether someone is struggling with an eating disorder or struggling, someone is struggling with substance use. Like What is it that I can do to help make this experience easier for you? Um, And that in itself can just feel so validating to an individual. Like, wow, this person cares and wants to know what I need. Like, talk about tapping into some like positive beliefs right there. Right. And that I think it does even more than the act of providing, you know, the non-alcoholic beverage or, you know, asking someone with an eating disorder, Hey, I know that you're in recovery right now. Like, what are some things that I can make sure I have for you at the table? I want to make sure I support you. Um, or I'm making the seat, like the seating chart, you know, for those that are specific with where people seat sit, is there someone that would be helpful for me to put next to you? Um, so just like having more of those questions, I think, I mean, in the end, I think that's like, anyway, we can support someone. A lot of times we, in general, kind of go towards like, how can I fix the problem? And what can I do where it's like, let me ask, you know, let me ask my child, like they're feeling really dysregulated, like, what can I do to support you right now? And that might be different today than it might be next week. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of taking, I think that approach in general with loved ones in your life or people that you're supporting, like we can assume maybe that's what I might need or want, but maybe it's different for that person. And just the act of asking will do so much for them. The act of asking, I think can be everything. Like you said, you hit it on the nose. You know, everyone is so different. Our needs are so different. Every eating disorder looks different. Every addiction looks different. You and I have talked about just even modalities of treatment, what people need. I'm sure you have clients that really need the dietitian and the therapist and maybe some other providers in place to kind of all be on the treatment team. And then maybe you have others that don't require all those folks and also require different approaches, you know, and the same thing goes for, you know, addiction work. I am a big believer that I wrap services around my client based on their specific needs. I do not subscribe to one modality over another for my clients. I mean, for any of my clients for that matter, but specifically when I'm speaking about addiction, you know, I think about the abstinence only approach. I think about harm reduction. I think about the usage of, you know, programs like 12 step AA, NA, things like that. Those are not for everyone. And also those programs serve something different for everyone. And so I am not a stickler about, oh no, no, you go to your AA, NA meetings, because if that doesn't work for them, then it doesn't work for them and create something that will. And 
you know, again, I think what we're sort of talking about here is encouraging people in the community who have loved ones, family members struggling with these sorts of things, you know, to kind of do what we're doing and that don't make assumptions. It could be different. So just because you had a friend with an eating disorder and this is what she always needed, doesn't mean that maybe your other friend would have the same needs. It's, you know, again, that same thing and just asking, don't Mm -hmm. assume, ask. Well, and I think another thing for those of you that are listening that might have a loved one and they're just not sure how to support, I and I and I'm assuming Rachel, you do this too. I have people that reach out that are like, hey, my husband's struggling or, you know, my sister. And like, I just like want to figure out how to support them. And like, we'll just do like a consultation for 30 minutes or 50 minutes around like, hey, like, give me a little bit more information. Here are some things you could try or do or share some books to read. So like, even if you yourself doesn't have an eating disorder or substance use disorder, like know that you can always reach out to a professional and say, hey, like, I need some help here. Like, can you help me figure out how to support this individual? And I think that in itself is just, it's amazing. I love it. I love it so much when I get inquiries like that. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more, Anushin, because I think that way, you know, it's very empowering for, you know, those folks to be able to feel like they have some tools and skills. And sometimes it might be something as simple as some psychoeducation around like understanding what your loved one, friend, partner, whoever is going through. And, you know, maybe best ways to support the the do's and don'ts, um, you know, of, of things that can be really helpful and things that can be more harmful, you know, even with the best of intentions. And I think just, again, general psychoeducation around, you know, just what these issues are and how they manifest. I mean, I'm sure you get this all the time. You know, when people think about eating disorders, they are so quick to assume that it has everything to do with body or weight or appearance or food. When in reality, eating disorders are so complex addiction as well. It's not usually about the bottle. It's not usually about the love of alcohol or fill in the blank drug. There are so many other factors and things underneath that. Yes. At times these are fact like things that are of interest to someone. Yes, the body or physical aesthetics may be a thing in the picture, but it is far from the be all end all. There are so many things that sort of are under these umbrellas. Yeah. And that's going back to it being a coping mechanism, right? But Rachel, thank you. Thank you so much for being here with me today. As always, such a wonderful discussion. I'm sure we could have gone on longer. I feel like one of our Instagram lives went like almost two hours, but it's like different when you have like that live um, kind of feedback coming through with questions. So we'll have to hop on and do one of those soon. That sounds great. I would love that. So one of the questions that we are asking our guests that come onto the pod is what is one self-care activity that you enjoy doing for yourself? Hmm. I have several. Um, I think my latest self-care activity has been being a member of the Peloton cult. And uh, <laughs> I, I am a big, if there's anyone listening who is a Cody Rigsby fan, he is my boo. I'm a big fan of him. And he's almost kind of like therapy in a way. I, I I like getting to move my body, you know, on the bike or whether it's a run with him. But even more so, he talks to you. He has these, I mean, he's very snarky. He's very funny. But just, you know, the things he has to say, he tries to sort of be, you know, kind of a therapist in a way. And I love it. So I think that's one of my my current favorites. 
I love that. And I, I'm sure Kate would be on board with that as well. I know that I she would too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And side note, Kate, Kate and I did get to meet Cody Rigsby for a total of like five milliseconds <laughs> at his book tour in Washington, DC. It was very cool. I didn't want to wash my dress after, you know, I got to hug him. I did eventually wash it, but yes, it was a life-changing experience. I'm sure it was for Kate as well. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, well, thanks again for joining us, Rachel. And for those of you that don't follow us yet on social media, please find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Talk Therapy Pod. We would love for you guys to like our podcast, subscribe to it on all forums, podcast review us, please. We love seeing what you guys have to say, and hopefully you're giving us five-star reviews. And if you don't want to give us a five-star review, that's totally fine. We love feedback too. So please give us the feedback. So thanks again, Rachel, for joining us and we will be back soon. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.